0: Daniel chapter six. Uh, we're going to read the whole chapter. We've been doing that. I know it's they're they're kind of long, but I I just feel like we uh, we get cheated if we don't get the the whole story. And so uh, we're gonna we're gonna read the whole chapter. We're gonna take time to do that this morning. So beginning in verse one, you can follow along with me. It pleased Darius to set up over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one. "...to whom these satraps should give account, so the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was found in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him." Then these men said, We shall not find any ground of complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom... That's a lie... The prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance... ...and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed... He went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king... Concerning the the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, for the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, king, that is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And then the king commanded, And Daniel was brought and cast in the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day the king rose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, "O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel <clears throat> and shut the lions' mouths, that, 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 that they have not harmed me. Because I was found blameless before him and before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they and their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the people of the nation's languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, People are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And he who has saved Daniel from power, from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Father, we thank you for... Uh, just the, the consistency of Daniel. Father, I thank you for the model of, of this man uh, who, through the power of your Spirit and through his connection to you, his relationship with you, uh, God was was mightily used to bring glory to your name. And God, we, we want to be like Daniel. We want to be used by you to impact people for the gospel. We want to be used by you to, uh, to magnify your name among all nations. God, we want to be disciple makers. We want to be above reproach. We want we want to be men and women of prayer. And God, I pray that you would teach us and and just work in us uh, today. Father, we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. So um, back in chapter two, Daniel had interpreted a prophetic dream that Babylon would fall. And indeed, last week in chapter five, that Babylon falls. Uh, We witnessed that uh, last week. Chapter five was the night The last night of Babylon, the last night of Belshazzar's uh, reign in his life. And so now the Persians have come in and they have taken over basically all that was the Babylonian kingdom. Now interesting thing, Daniel again rises to the top. Okay? New government, uh, they came in uh, again, Daniel's not Babylonian so that's not an issue. He's a hes a Jewish exile and, and so they, they immediately see his talent, his skill, his integrity. Uh, probably they even heard, I would guess, about his, his prophetic interpretation of the writing on the wall uh, prior to to, to Babylon, falling for whatever reason, he rises like he rises to the top. Um, one of the things I, I've loved about Daniel and Joseph, okay, Daniel and Joseph are like the two really heroes of the of the uh, of the Old Testament in that they they are spotless. You know, uh, everybody else has got their blemishes and they're 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 blowing at times, but really Daniel and Joseph are interesting in that um, they not only survive in a culture hostile to their faith. Uh, both those guys are, are basically placed in a pagan environment and they not only survive but they thrive and, and they thrive not by compromising you know both Daniel and Joseph neither one of them thrive by becoming like the people around them they thrive by by actually going against the grain by by speaking truth by being uncompromising always in love always doing a great job being hard workers loyal to their employers but but they but they rise to the top. Well, as you can imagine, Daniel rising to the top and becoming one of the presidents, one of the three presidents over Babylon, over Persia, I'm sorry, the Persian Empire, did not set well with the other Persian presidents, okay? With the other, they, they, they just, they don't like the idea of this Jewish exile guy, um, you know, being kind of one of them in, in, in the highest form of government here in Persia. So, what, what, what they try to do, as is very common in politics, is what do you do? You try to dig up dirt on somebody, right? Uh, they try to... To dig up dirt on Daniel. What, what kind of dirt can we find on this guy? What what kind of complaint can we raise against him? Where, where is his shady accounting? What has he done? You know, has he taken a bribe? Has he has he uh, has he done anything inappropriate in the kingdom? Is is he is he pilfering from the treasury? What's he doing? They looked, they looked, they looked, look in verse four. Then the presence and the satraps sought to find ground for a complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. There is a New Testament principle that we talk about a lot, and it's called being above reproach. Have you ever heard me talk about that? Being above reproach. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, talking about godly men, and it says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, and then it goes into a whole list of things that are connected with being above reproach. But the way that we've described above reproach here at Lincoln Avenue is, is it's as if there's a line, okay? And the, this line is the line of sin, okay? This line is the line of... Lying, okay, or stealing from your employer, or embezzling, or being inappropriate in, in, in a relationship with the, the opposite sex, or uh, um, maybe the line of anger, or the line of bitterness, or whatever, okay? Now, above reproach is not living right by the line, okay? If this is the line, and I'm right by the line, then if you're very far away from me, it's hard for you to tell if which side of the line I'm on, okay? And so being above reproach is when you live so far from the line, that it's clear to everybody in your life that, that there's there's no there's no um, there's no sin or no transgression there's there's no shady stuff going on in your life and Daniel is an incredible example of that okay I mean you just look at his life and and, 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 and consistently he lives a faithful life and when 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 people actually are gunning against him they can't find anything against him except except in accordance with his faith. Okay. Now that's the second principle about Daniel. Not only is he above reproach in the fact that he is, his integrity is impeccable, but, 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 but he is also very clearly identified with his faith. Okay. The plan that these guys settle on is, Hey, we're going to make a law. We're going to trick the King because they know the King likes Daniel. So they got to trick the King. We're going to, we're going to appeal to his ego so that he makes a stupid law that nobody can pray to anybody for 30 days, except to him. So that the King alone is kind of the intercessor, okay, and, and, and here's what they know, they know that Daniel is a man of prayer, they know that Daniel loves God more than he loves his position, more than he loves his success, more than he loves his prosperity, more than he loves his life, they know those things by being around Daniel, they, 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 they've been in meetings with him, they've been in seminars with him, they've, they've done government business with him, and they know that this guy lives different, that he is completely committed to his God, and they know this plan will work, okay, Now, 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 I want to stop right there. What do people know about us? What do they know about us? You know, there's two great principles right there. Number one, when people think of you, is there anything that's gray? Is there anything that's shady? Is there anything that they're like, you know, you know, I've always wondered about that. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I've always wondered about that in his life. Is, is, are, are we too close to the line in any area of our life that, that we, that we could be accused of doing something that, that, would, that would tarnish our integrity, that would dishonor Christ? And then the second part of the question, maybe even the better part of the question today is, do people know who you are in connection to God? I mean, just imagine, Daniel could have very much lived a private life. You know, he could have been great public official here, but private Christian over here. You know, he could, have, he could have been really, really just a guy of integrity and honor and all the guys at work admired him. But nobody knew anything about his personal life, his private life, his life of faith, his life of prayer, his life connected with God. But that was not the case for Daniel. Everybody knew, you know, I mean, I mean, it was clear to everybody. This guy had a clear identity connected. Connected to the God of Israel. And I, I am seeing more and more how crucial identity is. Pastor Andrew, or no, I think it was Joe. our, our students, I think it might have been Joseph, this last summer did a, a, uh, a study with our, our students on identity. Man, I think that is crucial. The, the more I begin to just kind of think about us as people and, and, and our culture, man, I just see how... How impactful your identity is, okay? How you think of yourself and how other people think of you, right? Man, for a lot of guys, a lot of guys, their identity is in their work. Their identity is that they're the boss or they're the best salesman or the hardest worker, the most successful. You know, or maybe they're the athlete or the life of the party or the funny guy or the recreator. Or maybe, here's the case for a lot of guys, they don't know who they are, you know? I mean, there's this constant struggle for identity, this constant struggle to try to carve out, you know, who am I? You know, why am I significant? Why am I important, you know? And a lot of guys, this comes 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 to fruit in and, and always buying things trying trying to trying to present yourself as something. You're always switching jobs or switching wives or having a midlife crisis and trying to figure out who you are. And me and Daniel, what I say about Daniel is, it's just this clear thing. He knows who he is and everybody knows exactly who he is. He's a servant of the living God. He sees his, he sees himself that way. That's the way that other people seem. The, 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 these these guys that are against him, the other presidents, man, they know this guy. We, we The only fault we're going to find is a connection with his God. The king even. When the king King throws him into the lion's den. Okay, has him cast a lion den. Verse 16, he says, the king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually. The king knows it. I mean, everybody is clear about this guy's identity. And Daniel Daniel has always seen himself just as that. He's never been confused about that. Daniel chapter 1, he comes to Babylon as a 15, 16, 14-year-old kid. Okay, and he's not confused about who he is. You know, there's this three years of brainwashing, education, Babylonian training, and when it comes to to portions like eating and drinking that he doesn't feel like he can compromise according to his conscience, he is clear about who he is. I won't cross that line because this is who I am. I am connected to the God of Israel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've been in government office, they're they're in high positions, it comes time to to bow down to the idol. We're not doing it. Why? Because we're connected to the God of Israel. Daniel, you can't pray to anybody for 30 days. He won't be molded into what you want him to be. He won't be moved uh, in his identity. And he goes directly to his house and he opens the windows and he prays to the God of Israel. Guys, we need to be clear about our identity. Who are we? And let let me tell you this. I really believe if, if you struggle like being a witness, you know, and if you struggle with having opportunities to share your faith, part of that may be is that your identity is not is not clear either to you or to the people around you let me let me tell you a story about my conversion after my conversion. This was shortly after my conversion and uh, so i 'm born again i 'm eighteen years old. Uh, man, God just does this incredible work in my life. Uh, man, my eyes are open, I get this joy of the Lord in me. I go to work, okay I go to work and and, and, I, and I get in a truck. With uh, another guy who worked at the same farm corporation that I did, we were like going. I don't even. I don't know what we were doing, but I just remember the story. We, we, we were in the pickup and we we're driving, and, and he goes, "Hey, do you want to look at the at the new edition?" And and he under the seat pulls out a pornographic magazine, and, and he lays it in the seat beside me. And I remember this was incredibly awkward, okay, because I, I didn't look at it and I didn't touch it. I just changed the subject, you know. And I, like, ask him another question. You know, I'm like, hey, how's So how would you see the guy? I don't know what to ask him. But I remember just, like, trying to talk to him. And, and, and he keeps bringing it back to the magazine. He keeps like, aren't you going to look at it? He goes, there's a real cool, you know. And he's, like, telling me about it, you know. And, and, and I never looked at it, but I, I never described why I didn't look at it. You know, it was just kind of this awkward thing. And finally, you know, he takes the magazine back, you know, we got wherever we got. And and, and I just remember that there's this awkwardness here. And, And the reason why was I wasn't quite sure who I was. And he had no idea who I was. By the end of the summer, nobody was offering me pornographic magazines anymore. You know, by the end of the summer, all of a sudden the guys were like, oh, oh!" you know, they, they heard. I'd I, I shared with them. I shared my testimony. I shared what had happened. I'd shared you know, who I was in Christ. I'd shared that I was being discipled by the pastor and that I was going to be speaking at the youth Sunday. And all of a sudden, the guys were not bringing those anywhere near me. You know why? Because there was my, my identity was clear. And I just remember, I was talking to my wife about this. I I, I said, I remember that summer being such a transitional summer because the whole first part of the summer, I had this constant battle, you know, with, with the old life and with being tempted and, and not being very effective. And the latter part of the summer was completely different. And and, and the thing was at some point in there, and I, 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 there was, there was almost a day. I can't describe to you the day, but I remember there just being a point where I was just like, you know what? I'm not that guy anymore. I'm this guy and I'm, and I'm just going to, in a very appropriate, loving, gracious way, I'm going to let everybody know I'm this guy. All right. This is who I am now. And now that I'm this guy, that changes everything. Right. Um, that is a great blessing. Man, if if you're still living in this environment where you're trying to live for Christ, but but nobody really knows why, you know? And they keep like, uh, you know, offering you stuff, and you're just kind of, you know, not not saying anything. Uh, That's just not very effective. Daniel has this clear identity. Everybody knows who he is in connection to his God, and it affords him great opportunity to be a witness for the Lord. So, they make this plan. The plan is... We're going to make this law. What does Daniel do? As soon as the law is signed, notice that verse 10, when Daniel knew about the document, this is verse 10, that had been signed. (laughs) Directly there, he went to his house where he had his windows and his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. The important, the important part of that verse is as he had done previously. I, I don't want you to look at this as Daniel's protest, okay? You know, sometimes we do that. We get, We as Christians, we get ticked off about something. And so, you know, we, we get our sign and we go to the courthouse and, you know. Okay, that's not what this is. I mean, Daniel's not like politically protesting the law. You know what he's doing? He's doing the same thing he did yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before and the day before for 80 years. Okay, he's doing the exact same thing as he's always done. As he'd done previously, this is the habit of Daniel's life. The habit of his life is in the morning he has a prayer time. Around midday, you know, his lunch break, whatever, he goes back home, he sets up, he has another prayer time in the evening. Three times a day, that is his spiritual disciplines of his life. And not even this law will knock him out of his his time with God early in the week, the first thing that hit me about this passage, maybe it won't strike you, but the first thing that hit me was I just started thinking nothing would knock this guy out of his prayer life. Not, not loss of job, not loss of income, not loss of status, not loss of the approval of others, not even his loss of his life will deter him from his personal worship time. And, and, and then I began to ask myself this question, what does it take to knock me out of my personal prayer time? Okay, so I've got time scheduled, you know, for, 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 for the Lord. What does it take to knock us out of that? You know, a little bit busier than we normally are, boom, it's gone. Is that, is that the case? Or, or maybe we had a late night, you know, we stayed up, we watched, you know, too many episodes or whatever and then got to bed late and, and tired in the morning, bam, prayer time's gone, you know. Um, lots on our mind, dishes aren't done, garage needs swept, Uh, What what, what does it take? How much pressure does it take to knock us out of our prayer life? For Daniel, man, it it seems to me that nothing would do that. I mean, everything is on the line here, and he goes directly and does what he's done for 80 years. His entire life is in the balance, and he won't budge from his personal prayer life. Not only will he not budge from his personal prayer life, but he won't change it you know Uh, I mean he could have just hidden it right he could have just prayed in his closet that's that's not unbiblical in fact Matthew chapter 6 suggests that you do it okay Uh, but in this case the the, the difference between Daniel 6 and Matthew 6 is that in in Matthew 6 praying out in public is a hey look how spiritual I am everybody come pat me on the back you know look at what a great guy I am in Daniel 6 you pray in public you die okay so very different situations And, and for him to pretend that he was changing for him to pretend that he was obeying the law would would be to make a clear message to everybody that that, that Christ was not first God was not first in his life and Daniel would not do that why? because his identity was very clear to himself and to other people you know think about what if Daniel had not kept his routine of prayer I mean what would that have said that would have said hey there's things that I'm committed to at a higher level than I am to God I'm committed to my position to my life to my prosperity than I am to God Let's spend just a little bit of time looking at, at Daniel's specific routine. Okay, um, you can call this—I um, I think this would be appropriate—you could call this spiritual disciplines. We may we may uh, use that that term um, throughout the message day, but basically, a spiritual discipline is, is a discipline that you work into your life on a regular basis for the purpose of drawing near to God. Okay. Uh, that's what a spiritual discipline is. And so it could be lots of things. It could be prayer. It could be scripture reading. It could be scripture memory. It could be solitude. It could be fasting. It could be um, lots of worship. You know? uh, lots of those things are, are what, we, what we refer to as spiritual disciplines. And basically they're, they're the habit of our life, Okay, the routine of our life um, uh, that, that, that is kind of a tool to enable us to seek God. Um, now what, what what do we what do we find in Daniel well what we find in Daniel is he's got regular times of private personal prayer okay now, not popcorn prayers, okay? Now, I don't know why I call it that. Somebody called it that years ago. I don't remember who, but I've been calling it that forever. I don't even know why it's called popcorn. I guess because they kind of pop up. But a popcorn prayer is like you're walking through your life, and um, you think of something, and you stop and pray for it, okay? And, oh, that's awesome. I mean, I, I do that all the time. I try to cultivate that. You know when someone says, hey, pray for me? I try never to put it off, okay? Because I, I won't remember. And so I try as early as possible moment, you know, there is... Is with them is the best, okay? But if not there with them, then as soon as I turn around, as I'm walking away, as I get in my car, whatever, I try to just stop and have a moment. Lord, I pray for Andrew. Pray God that you would strengthen him, help him through whatever. You know, I, 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 try, to, I try to just pop right there. Just popcorn. Listen, there's nothing wrong with those. Everything is right with those. Please cultivate those in your life. I think it's very helpful in cultivating a continual dependence upon God all day long, okay? So those are great. But that's not, that's not what... That's not what's happening here, okay? What's happening here is is specific blocks of time set aside to commune with God, okay? Do you see the difference between those? On the one, I'm going through my life, I'm I'm doing whatever, I'm I'm working, I'm, I'm just pausing, you know, being in the presence of God, depending on Him, thanking Him, loving Him, interceding, okay? This other one, there's actually, I'm marking off this time. This time is for God. Okay, 6 to 6.30, you know, 5 to 6, you know, um, 10 to 11, whatever. This time is for God. 10.15 to 10.30, you know what? This time is for God. I, and Daniel had a specific place of prayer. Notice that. Um, what I want you to grapple with just this morning may, may not be a huge thing, but, but I, think it's, I think it's one of those things that can make a big difference is, do things like place and time make a difference? Um, I think they do. Um, parents, how many of you would be okay if your, your kids said, Hey, they're offering the ACT. Uh, we can take the ACT test at the movie theater, you know? So it's kind of a two for one. We get to watch a movie and take the ACT. How many parents would be okay with that? You know, I would not be okay with that. I imagine none of you would be okay with that. Why? Why? Why would we not be okay with that? Well, place matters, right? Place matters. I want you to do the very best you can on this, okay? Scholarship money rides on it. You know, there's, there's, this is important. So, so let's, let's go ahead and get a good night's rest. Let's go to a testing facility where you'll have a desk and everything's quiet and there isn't any distractions, so you do your very best. All right, if, if that's important, then is meeting with God, should we want to be at our best? I think we should, right? And so there's places that are easier to pray than others, right? There's places where there's less distraction than others. So Daniel has, has a habit of going to his house, and he's got an upper level up, up above everything else. And he opens the window, fresh air, looking to I mean, he, he, he's, got, he's got a place of prayer. He, he's got set times for prayer, okay? Again, three times a day. That That's his habit. Um and again, the purpose of this is not to be legalistic. The purpose of this is not for you to say, oh, I've only got two. I've got to get three. You know, or some of you may be like, I've got four now. I need to back it off one, man. You know what I learned in the sermon today? Go ahead and cut a prayer time out. No, that's not it at all. You know, Psalm 119 talks about praying seven times. That. But, but here's, here's the purpose. Be intentional. Again, maximize Effectiveness. You know, figure out, all right, I, I, I want to maximize my effectiveness in seeking the Lord. And so I want to have set times for my prayer life. Notice that Daniel had a particular posture for prayer. I, I want to linger on this one a little bit because I don't think we ever talk about this. But, but verse 10 says, he got down on his knees. By the way, he's in his 80s impressive for me just right there right um, he's in his ages i mean this is the end of his life and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave things now 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 listen we got to be careful here are, are we saying that the posture of your physical body is is everything it we're not saying that at all the posture of your heart is more important than the posture of your body correct correct can we all say yes to that? The posture of your heart, okay? So so most important thing in prayer is, is your heart in a posture of dependence and of seeking and of love and adoration to God? Humility. Okay, that's the most important. But, but I, I, can, I can also help to think, I mean, the Bible put it in there. It's got to mean something, Right? and it 's not the only place in the Bible that it talks about someone getting on their knees or someone being in a in a certain posture and here here 's i don 't want again i don 't want to be legalistic. I think you can pray. When you're driving, when you're at your desk, when you're riding the bus, when you're jogging, when you're in a meeting, when you're at the dinner table, when you're lying in your bed, that one is really hard for me to pray lying in bed. I mean, and we'll tell you, I'm like, ow, you know, I'm a, my, my roommate in college used to laugh at me because, you know, it'd be my turn to pray. I'd make it about, you know, halfway through the prayer and he'd tell me in the morning, man, you did it again. You went to sleep while you were praying, you know. So lying in bed is difficult for me, but but here, here's what I'm saying. We can pray any posture but, but don't you think that posture to some degree matters? Let me try to prove this for you. Andrew, would you help me out with this, please? Would you come up here? <clears throat> okay, I want you just to say to your wife, I want you to say, Michelle, I love you. I want you to tell her that you love her. Michelle, I love you. Okay, you saw that? All right, Michelle, would you put that down and come up here as well? <laughs> now this time, I want you to get down on one knee. And I want you to take your her hand in your hand, and I want you to say the exact same words that you just said. So I love you. Okay, now let me ask you a question. Were those the same thing? All right, you can go sit down. Who said no? No. Said, no, they weren't the same thing? Okay. He said the same words, did he not? Ladies, was there any, is there any difference between those two things? Okay. Now, I, I would argue that from the recipient side, there is a difference, okay? But I would argue also, from, from Andrew's point of view, there's a difference. Why? I mean, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of times where it's like, you know, heading out the door, hey, I love you, you know, I love you, and, and, and love is in your heart, and that's all fine. But when you, when you take the time to, to put yourself in a certain posture, I mean, this, this means something, right? It means something. You know why I know that it means something? Let me show you. Come up here again, Andrew. Go ahead and get down on one knee and take my hand. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he wanted. To, does it mean something or not? It did mean something, doesn't it? Yeah, that's weird. All right. Okay. So, would it not mean something? The posture we take in prayer. Man, this, this sermon has been a blessing to me all week. It's really been challenging. Um, I, I found myself, uh, this was like yesterday, I think it was. I'm unpacking my computer. So I'm kind of in, I'm unpacking my, I'm grabbing my computer out of my bag and I'm going and putting it on the docking station. And at the same time, I'm praying. I'm praying for somebody. I remembered somebody. I can't remember who it even was, but someone was having a tough time. So, and, I, and I'm praying for that person. And I'm, I'm hooking up, and, you know, I'm praying, Lord, please, you, you know. I was like, Jason, just stop, you know. And I went over to my little chair in my office, and I got on my knees. I just focused my mind, and I prayed for that person. There's a difference in earnestness for me, okay? If nothing else, it's just I, I'm I'm stopping everything else, and, and and I'm I'm earnest. It intensifies the seriousness. So. I guess here's what I'm saying. I think you ought to give thought to your prayer life. Um, winter is here. Uh, what that means for me, one of the things that means for me is I'm going to be setting up my trainer probably this afternoon or tonight in my house. That's where my bike hooks into. Can't, can't I'm not going to be able to ride on the road anymore, and so I'm going to ride in my house on my trainer, which I hate actually. And so here's what what I've done. I I have thought through where to put it in the house. I've tried it several different places, and and where I've finally settled on is in the basement um, over kind of right in front of the TV. We have a TV in our basement right in front of the TV, and I've got a little shelf that I put uh, here for my phone and my water bottle. And then I have um, a towel on the floor, and I have – I have a fan a particular fan that that English, what I'm telling you is I've thought through this whole thing okay to help me want to ride longer okay cuz riding inside I hate I just, it it almost equals out with running okay as I'm just it's just boring you know and it's hot and I'm just, you know I hate it and so I've done everything I can to try to help me to be more disciplined in that area and so doesn't it make sense to think through Meeting with the God of the universe? No, notice also, this is verse 10. He had the windows in his chamber, upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. Okay, so the the, um, the implication there is that he's facing Jerusalem. At first, I almost dismissed that as just Jewish ritual or whatever. But then I started thinking. I started thinking, man, this guy has been gone from Jerusalem for 65 years. He's been in Babylon. Jerusalem is a heap of rubble. The first exiles, probably with the Persian Empire taking over, have just started to go back, but it, it's destroyed. You, you know what I think is really significant about that? Daniel has laying hold of the promises of God. This will come out in, in chapter nine in his prayer. But, but Daniel is, it, when him facing Jerusalem, that's almost an expectation of, of what God's going to do. I mean, God's going God's to restore Israel. God's going to restore Jerusalem. God's going to, it's an expectation. So, wow, yes, folks, take that. Take that into your toolbox. You ought to pray with great expectation of what is God going to do. Then notice the subject of prayer. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, this is verse 10 again, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, opened to Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and prayed. Okay, so stop right there and pray. What did he pray about? Probably lots of stuff, right? I mean, probably his co-workers, probably his his, his, his temptations, probably um, his provision, probably those who he knew, probably God being glorified. In, in Daniel chapter 9, there's confession of sin. There's there's the repentance of Israel. There's, there's God glorifying himself. We see all those things in chapter 9. So Daniel prayed, but then there is a continual subject mentioned. One particular subject mentioned that, that evidently he prayed three times a day for his entire life. And notice what that is, and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Man, can you imagine the impact of your life? If you stop everything three times a day and you get to a place where you're not distracted and you set apart time just to be with God and, and you reorient your heart to be thankful for what he's done, what kind of impact would that have on your life? Man, thankfulness is a weapon. If you don't believe that, look in Colossians. Colossians chapter Um, 3. There's this great little section here. I I show this to people all the time. Colossians 3, we'll begin in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let Jesus rule in your hearts, okay? To which indeed you were called with one body and be thankful. Okay, so let Christ rule in your heart be thankful. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So let God's word, his spirit, saturate every part of your life, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's number two. Verse 17. And whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, okay, your actions, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. That's three times the Father through him. So let Christ rule in your heart, give thanks. Let let the word of God saturate every part of your body. Give thanks. In everything you you do, do it to the name of Jesus and give thanks. Why? Why three times? Why say it three times, Paul? Because it's a weapon, my friends. It's a weapon. When I think about Daniel and and, and three times a day being thankful, you you know what Daniel is doing here, kind of a precursor to? He's appropriating the gospel in his prayer. Isn't that what he's doing? I mean, giving thanks says what? God is good. He has blessed me. He is blessing me. He will bless me. I believe in the promises of God. God, God. God, we celebrate our connection and we celebrate His faithfulness in our life. We celebrate who He is, His character. And the byproduct of thanksgiving, I really believe, is, is a pursuit of God. When I remember that God has blessed me and is blessing me and will bless me, I want a piece of that. I think the byproduct of thanksgiving is confidence in God. When I remember that God is faithful, it stirs me up to trust Him more. I think the byproduct of thankfulness is humility. When I'm focused on how much God has given, it's hard for me to be arrogant or prideful. So Daniel has a time of prayer and a place of prayer and a posture of prayer and a specific topic of prayer. And I think what Daniel's doing here, 1 Timothy, 4, 7, 1 Timothy 4, 7, he is training himself for godliness. Training himself. I man, we know that if we're going to succeed in anything, we've got to train, don't we? I mean, we know that. Nobody's going to say, I'm going to run a marathon and I'll wait until the day of and go buy shoes, you know. No, man, you train. Nobody's going to say, I'm going to be good at this, I'm going to get my master's degree and whatever. You have to discipline yourself. And there's value in having a consistent routine where you carve out time to work on your relationship with God. Listen, wouldn't, wouldn't that kind of discipline eliminate the excuses of your life of being too busy, too tired, too hectic? I mean, isn't that the answer to that? Isn't that the answer to our being too busy, too tired, too hectic? And so we, we drift away from God and then we feel guilty and we make a mess and then we, we come back to God and then we're too busy, too tired and it just happens all over again. I mean, I'm not saying that spiritual disciplines are the answer. God is the answer to your life, okay? But spiritual disciplines are a means by which we draw near to God. Now, let me let me let me let me uh, play the devil's advocate here. Yeah, but that, isn't that just creating a ritual? Isn't that creating an empty ritual? Hey, have you, ever, you guys ever paid attention to the Muslims? What do the Muslims do? Several times a day. You know, the music plays. Have you seen pictures of Megan, nah, get the prayer written down, you know, face down, on the ground, right? And and we laugh at that and we're like, man, what that's what your religion's all about, this this ritualistic, you know, bowing down. And it could be that. I'm not I I, I I concede that. You know, you could you could today say I'm gonna pray at six AM, I'm gonna pray at twelve, I'm gonna pray at four and that could become kinda your work. And you just go through the motions. You got five things on a list. Six o'clock, five things. Twelve o'clock, five things. It could be that. But I I don't think that's, I think that's a heart problem. I don't think that actually has anything to do with the spiritual disciplines. I think that's a heart problem. A long time ago, I made a commitment that I would try to take my wife out on a date every week. It's been 22 years. Has that become a ritual thing? Or it's like. All right, it's time for our date. Let's go. Where do you want to go? Can we go fast food and just go through drive-thru? Is that good enough? You know, it's actually not become that. It, it, what, what, it, what it is for us is, man, I look forward to that time. It's been a great time to converse with my wife and remember that, man, we have a life without five kids. You know, they're not always around. Sometimes they're staying with somebody else, you know. And we can actually talk and pray and think and dream. Folks, I think we need. I think you need spiritual disciplines in your life. Let me give you just some quick reasons. Number one, they're a tool to help us to see and know God. They're a tool. They're a tool. Got to remember that. They're they're a tool. We we shouldn't. And that's where the that's where the Muslims go wrong. Is they make that their work. This is why I'm righteous before Muhammad is because I do this. I get on my face so many times a day. When the music plays, I'm on. You know, that's my work. That's not what it is for Christians. Okay, we're righteous because of our connection to Jesus. What are spiritual disciplines about? It's about it's about having time with God, time with to commune with Him, to see Him, to 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 to, to honor Him, to hear from Him, to be strengthened by Him. Number two, the flesh is weak. True. Man, I tell you what. If if I if I only prayed when I felt like praying, I'll just be honest. I don't feel like praying very much. Maybe you're different. Maybe you're like, man, I just feel like praying all the time. Awesome, teach me. You know, I don't. I don't know that I feel like reading my Bible all the time. But 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 that's that's not unusual. I don't I don't ever feel like exercising. You know, I don't ever feel like not eating three milkshakes. I mean I, I mean the flesh is weak. And I understand that, and so we got we 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 do things to compensate. We get tired. We get gloomy. We get in a spiritual funk. We get lazy. I mean, that that's just for real. Number three, we have a continual, never decreasing need to commune with God. Discipline and prayer should not be a work. It should be an expression of continual need. Number four, I think it is. Um. This is similar to the flesh is weak, but a little different. We're prone to drift. And by drift, I mean we're, we're prone to wander. <laughs> we're prone to, to be lax spiritually. And then the last one, number five, we're we are too busy, too tired, too hectic. Now, I want, I want to segue into the next thing here. Are those actually reasons not that we don't pray? cuz actually that's what we throw out most of the time and then I'm too busy, my life's too hectic, I got too much on my plate but really is aren't those reasons to pray? You see if prayer is this this really flushes out what do you think about prayer? If for you prayer is a duty that you're doing for somebody else. Oh, God wants me to pray. I got to I got to I got to pray so he's happy, you know? Boss wants me to run to the location and God wants me to pray. Everybody wants something, right? I mean, is that the way you look at prayer? Or do you you look at prayer as, man, I am tapping into the immeasurable resurrection power of Jesus. I am connecting to the one who is forever joyful. Martin Luther said this, I've got so much to do today that I cannot possibly get through it with less than three hours of prayer. That's totally flipped, isn't it? So, Daniel prays. What's the result? He gets thrown in the lion's den. The king's a mess all night worrying about it. Uh, verse 20, the king runs to the den the next morning. Um, again, verse 20, he's, he, he, he clearly identifies who, who Daniel is. The king declared to Daniel, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God. I, I just love that part of the sermon. I mean, everybody knows who Daniel is. Servant of the living God has your god whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions bad theology king is he able huh? you bet he's able did he he did Daniel's unharmed all night uh hungry lions he's brought out of the den no harm whatsoever is found on Daniel and, and then notice what the text and this will be the last thing we, we talk about I wish we had more time but notice notice the text verse 23 no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God, because he trusted. Now, is that saying that while in the den, Daniel trusted in God and therefore he was delivered? I, I think it's bigger than that. I, I think it's. I think it's a whole thing. I think it's. It's the prayer. Okay. I think Daniel had a life of faith. Okay. And I. And I. Here's what I want to press on you. I think prayer is an exercise of faith. Okay. Prayer is an exercise of faith. Folks. I, Daniel's top of his class. Dan- Daniel is is smart out of this world. He's successful, powerful, seasoned, spotless, track record, not afraid of anyone. But Daniel feels a deep need to depend on God throughout the day, so he prays. You see, I I really think our problem with prayer is not being too busy. I don't think that's it. I I think, actually, that should be our motivation to pray. God, I need help with all this. I want to tap into your power. I, I think our, our problem with prayer is that we don't have faith. I think we don't, we don't realize our deep need for Christ. We don't see the big things of faith. Listen, if, 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 I, if, I'm, if I'm riding on a 737 at 30,000 feet and there's a professional pilot in the cockpit, man, I am kicked back drinking my diet coke that the stewardess has given me and i'm i'm working on my sermon i'm reading my book i'm i'm looking through the sky mall at all the ridiculous things that people will buy you know i'm i'm just relaxed if i am if i am riding a 737 at 30,000 feet and i am the only person on the plane i am crying out mayday mayday help all right i mean i i realize i i'm in trouble i need help right if, if my big decision of the day is Twinkie or Ho Ho, you know, I don't feel the need to call anybody about that, you know. But 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 if I if I'm right there, you know, do I cut the red wire or the black wire, you know? And and if I get the wrong one, then you know, the whole house blows up, the family. Blow. Okay, I, I want a lifeline. I want to phone a friend. I, I I need help. Okay. And so so how do you look at your life? That's what I'm asking. Can you handle it? Is it fine? whether you pray very much or not says the answer to that. Whether you think, I got this covered. Real quick. I know I keep saying that. It's just to encourage you that I'm not going to go very much longer. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. 27. Notice this. By faith. It's talking about Moses. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Okay? So by faith, Moses saw, Moses saw the glory of God and it motivated him out. The reason I read that verse is because I believe that that seeing spiritual realities makes us want to pray. Remember what 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says? We walk by faith, not by sight. Okay, so seeing spiritual realities makes us want to pray. Now, the other end of that, though, is listen to Paul in Ephesians 1. He says, uh, I pray, verse 18 That the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened so that you may know what the hope to which he's called you, what the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints, what's the immeasurable power, greatness of the power toward us who believe. I believe that in prayer, we see things that increase our faith. Okay, so faith, faith causes us to see things that make us want to pray. Prayer helps us to see things, okay, that build up our faith. Those two work together. Does that that make... I lost you there, didn't I? I tried to go too fast through that. Um, Think of it this way. If our eyes are open to see the spiritual realities of heaven and hell, man, if if you're awake to the fact that the people around you are about to step into eternity without Jesus, are you going to pray? If you see that crisply, are you going to pray? Man, if you're alert to the fact that on Wednesday... There's gonna be over a hundred grade school kids here with damaged hearts who don't know Christ, and you are the gospel to them. Makes you pray. And when you see and feel the reality that you're gonna stand before Almighty Jesus, whose eyes are blaze like fire, who'll slay the nations with the word of his mouth. And you'll pray. When you see those things. When you see that Jesus is life, he's life. The funeral this afternoon, we're going to look at John 1. At the, at the, at the family's request, John 1 and, and, and the verse 4 says, says that Jesus is life and he is. And when you see that, man, you, you will pray, you'll believe, you'll pray. All right, we're going to have to cut the rest out. But let, let, let me finish with this. You know, we've, we've told you before that the whole Bible is about Jesus, isn't it? It's all pictures of Jesus. You see Jesus in Daniel? You know, I, I've always saw Jesus in Joseph. That's always been like the big type, you know, and Moses and some of the others. But I never thought of it from this angle. I was reading somebody this week, and, and they talked about the lion's den, you know. And do you notice the imagery there? In, in the text, what does it say? You know, here you've got this innocent man, falsely accused... Because of his connection with God, who's thrown into the tomb, the den, and what does it say? The rock is rolled over. Isn't that kind of cool. The next morning, he comes out unharmed, and then and then his enemies are thrown in. <laughs> I don't know. I see Jesus there. I see, I see, I see him coming. He's coming. He's the one that that took our death and emerged victorious. Let's pray, Father. I thank you so much for this book of Daniel, and God, I pray that that you would help us to discipline our lives, to meet with you, God, that we might see what we need to see, that we might that we might be strengthened in our faith, Father, that that we might be constantly reminded of our dependence upon you and tapped into your power, or that we might live for your glory. Help us God to make some just some practical changes in our life this week that will 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 better help us, Lord, to seek you. In Jesus' name. Amen.